and welcome to Point of Origin, episode 47, the podcast where Robert C. Cooper at least understands that if you're going to give members of SGC awards for the work they do at SGC, you should probably do it at SGC. It might make sense, just maybe, <laughs> rather than renting out a private room for top secret clearance people only in DC every time. That must just have been a logistical nightmare in terms of, can you imagine the day that Sam was getting her uh, award after everything was said and done, all the people, all the bean counters just standing there and going, wait, why did we do this again? <laughs> huh. I stand by the idea that that episode um, was one where like, Terry Curtis Fox had one story and then Brad Wright and Jonathan Glasson are like, okay, but you also need to add this part in. <laughs> so he had to just kind of like, mishmash. Yeah. Yeah, no, that would make sense, based on that episode. But based on this one, I think they made better decisions. <laughs> they let- oh god. So we'll, we'll get into the details of it when we get to them in the, the episode, but there are so many excellent examples of writing construction in this episode. Yeah. Like, Robert C. Cooper more than once has a Chekhov's gun. Yeah, I call it the Chekhov's healing device. Oh, he has a couple of them in this episode. Yeah. It's really good. He pretty much doesn't mention something unless it's going to come up later and be useful. There is a reason why I love Stargate Universe. This guy is so good at his piecing together of shit. Uh-huh. Yeah, when the when the healing device showed up, I'm like, well, that's going to be a secret well, that's tool be useful for later. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, gee, I wonder if this thing that was in the camera viewpoint for more than three seconds might become significant later. Absolutely. I enjoy, I enjoy all of his stuff because it's there, and you can tell it's because of something, but it's never super in your face. Exactly. He knows how to competently construct a narrative. Yeah, basically. That's just, yeah. It comes down to it, it's funny, sometimes I want to use, like, extra grandiose language to describe how good some people do with their jobs. Yeah. It's like, they can't just be described as good. Yeah. Because it's, they're better than just good. And in reality, sometimes it really just comes down to the fact that they are just really good, and everyone else around them is okay. <laughs> <laughs> and good is just sometimes easily described as He's just really good at his job. Absolutely. So yeah, it's a good episode. Well, I'm actually uh, looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, on that note, I'm Mel. And I'm Liz. And today we are covering Season 3, Episode 3, Fair Game. And as we already mentioned um, in the intro to this episode, this episode is written by Robert C. Cooper, one of our favorite writers for this show. Without a doubt, one of my favorite. Ever. So, like <laughs> I said, such a competent writer. I He is really competent. You can just feel a sense of, and I say, when I say seriousness, it's not just because of like, the tone of the episode, but you can feel a kind of seriousness in his writing because of how each character just feels a little bit more, it, it feels like everything has a little bit more impact. Like yes. all their actions, all of their words, all of their decisions, everything just has that much more heft, I think, because of this thoughtfulness you can kind of detect behind the curtain. He's taking this sci-fi show seriously. Which I like. I think a lot of people don't like to take sci-fi seriously, because they'll think of it as, like, I don't know, Disney Channel or Nickelodeon or something, where it's like, yeah, it's meant for funsies, but it's not really meant to be, you know, it doesn't require that much yeah. effort, because it's not meant to be this significant. But then you'll have people who are like, yeah, but I don't care, it's my job, and I think it's kind of fun, mm -hmm. so I'm gonna do this. And honestly, I just think sci-fi should get more credit, period, for what it is. So oh, it should, I always appreciate the shit out of a writer who seems to also kind of echo that sentiment a little. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%, man. I lowered my chair, so now my arms will stop smacking into the desk and make some thumps. Same. That's why I had to move my chair earlier. I was like, I want to be able to spin and not hit the desk. But yeah, so, uh, so written by Robert T. Cooper and directed by another one of our favorites, Martin Wood. You know, I didn't even pay attention to who directed it this week. I was, I saw Robert C. Cooper and immediately was, Martin Wood does a great job. Martin Wood yeah, we knows were just, what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not complaining about that. He doesn't stand out in this episode as like a shining star, no. a beacon of light, but I don't have anything to complain about. I think, hold on, I, I gotta check on something. So here's the thing. Martin Wood can do really phenomenal shots. Like, he did Gamekeeper, and we had so right. many positive things to say about the shooting and that. But sometimes he's just very competent. <laughs> yep, sometimes he doesn't do wild, cool shit. He's just a very competent director. And I think this was one of his just straightforward, competent episodes. Yeah, no, I agree. He does a lot of really good, like, moving into rooms with, with actors in this episode. Yeah, he does seem to be fond of the movement shots I'm starting to... I, actually, I don't know if that's a pattern I can attribute to him because there are so many of these freaking directors and they all cycle through and I I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, much less who directed what episode with the what shots that I like. Yeah, I think he does a really good job with it in this episode um, where he's using like moving with the actors to go into a briefing room or whatever. So like yeah. he makes the transition feel less a- abrupt because we're moving with the actors, you know? Even if, obviously, there's still a scene cut, we cut in with movement of going into the briefing room. We're not cutting from another scene directly into the briefing room. We're seeing how they got there. And it just makes it feel a little bit more natural. I like it when it feels longer, too, as a cut. As a, yeah. Yeah, as a shot, because as you might have heard me mention a few huh. times, I don't care for choppy editing. Yeah. I don't, I don't care doesn't... for cut, 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 cut. Like, dude, we're in a conference room. Calm the fuck down, right. please. I think the uh, choppiest Martin Wood has ever gotten was Into the Fire when he had five different scenes he had to be cutting between. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I all together, a competent team all together. Robert C. Cooper, Martin Wood, good combo. They're really good. There are some great cuts between, like, two characters in, in dialogue scenes where it definitely feels like an inside joke with the fans who know. <laughs> You have no idea how happy I am that you said that, because even I had a note on that where I'm like, am I the only one who's getting a feel of like, eh, hey, hey, He's hey, absolutely hey, doing hey, that hey. on purpose. He has nudge, to be. Nudge. <laughs> I got like, <laughs> several little nudge moments in this, and I did not hate it. I actually really liked it. I was I was amused the entire time. I was like, all right, all right, go for no, it. I, I like in-jokes. I like in-jokes. Um, my favorite that I've always used as an example is when I told you a million times already, but it's from another Amanda Tapping show, uh, Sanctuary. Yeah. Christopher Heyerdahl was in it, and he played Bigfoot. And he uh-huh. also played the the vampire Marcus in the Twilight movies. And there's <laughs> a scene where Robert, Robin Dunn's character asks him, you're reading Twilight, the book, <laughs> and Bigfoot puts down the book and goes, what, I like Marcus, and moves on. Oh, dude, I love just... those kind of jokes, man. It's like when uh, Michael Shanks co-starred on it, and like one of the first things he says to um, Amanda Tapping in, in that episode is, love, love the, the hair. hair. Exactly. <laughs> I like writers being able to give themselves pats in the back, too. Yeah. So, no, I think this was a great a episode fun, to man. showcase a lot of their shit that they've done. They're like, hey guys, look, this is season three now. We've actually done two years of content, so look, we're gonna bring some of this shit up. <laughs> Dude, that's, because like I was saying, so this episode is full of 
Robert C. Cooper brings something up, it's gonna mean something later on in this episode. And on top of that, he doesn't just, you know, plant a lot of Chekhov's guns, he brings up a lot of things that have already happened in the past. Yeah. Yeah, this is how you can do, uh... The non-version, I think, of a clip show. Like, if you want to yeah. bring up a bunch of, of storylines and you want to bring them all together, them make, make a point. They have to. Yeah. They have to serve a purpose. You know. Yeah. I call these artifact shows. <laughs> they're not yeah, clip sure. shows. They're artifacts. All the pieces left over from all the other episodes come together in a beautiful form. Yeah. Uh, so on that note, let's read the synopsis and then we can start talking about it for real. Let's see how bad this is. <laughs> O'Neill attempts to stop a Gold invasion of Earth, but to call off the attack, the Gold lords demand the destruction of the Stargate. O'Neill doesn't trust them, but the fate of Earth lies in the balance. I mean, it's sort of, kind of adjacent to right. I'm it's a little mad heavily they don't bring up the Asgard or a treaty at all in this. Yeah, the way to leave out the who, what, when, where, and why of the whole situation. <laughs> They also didn't say, destroy your Stargate, they said, give yeah, us the Stargate. Yeah, they said, no, you just have to give them to us. They said, you can't go wandering around, because you wandering around causes us fucking problems. <laughs> Which, fair. Can I just take a moment to applaud the guy who played Kronos, though? Because he was weirdly enigmatic. In oh, this. yeah. Not enigmatic, sorry, um, charismatic. He had that presence. Yeah, he did. I was, like, oddly almost attracted to him the entire time. It was kind of like... <laughs> Weird, but in that kind of like almost like you can kind of see why people follow him kind of way. The actor mm-hmm. did a great job of of creating this character just with a face and some sneering. I so I see why that particular snake chose that particular host because it seems yeah. to work for him. Absolutely, man. But yeah. So like I said in the opening, uh, this episode starts with an awards ceremony happening at SGC, and uh, it's basically all of SGC and then the Secretary of Defense. Uh, who comes up and gives a really good speech. He better be paying his speechwriter good money. There's some really nice things about, like, how he's like, yeah, I've been eagerly awaiting each mission report, like a child being read a bedtime story, and just, like, he loves the Stargate program, at least according to his speech. (laughs) But he's just, you know, giving his speech, commending everyone, blah, 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 blah. And then he ends that by, um, Sam gets a promotion to major. It's not that I didn't know she got promoted. It's not that I don't know that she gets promoted even further in the show. It's not like any of it was a surprise. But when it happened, I was like, fuck yeah, Sam. <laughs> Get your Hell recognition. Yeah. I was so happy all over again seeing that. I love I seeing mean, her get promoted. It's, honestly, it's a good timing for it. Because she had to basically take control in the Hathor rescue mission. She's she has single handedly saved the planet a a few times now. So yeah, but like it's only is... fair that she gets paid slightly more than minimum wage. Yeah, but like when I you know there's a difference between you know single handedly saving the planet on her scientist end or taking a command position in a rescue oh, yeah. mission. That's why she got major now because she yeah, showed no. like that side of it. I just like how the first person to get recognized in the show in this format is Sam. Yeah, it's nice. Because Daniel's obviously a civilian, so that's yeah. not really gonna happen. Teal is gets, outside uh, of the structure. He just gets bonuses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Like, the American government is going out of its way to pay its contractors more money. What is he using his money for? He doesn't leave the, the base. Th- th- that part's true. And Jack, obviously, is... I think the higher up you get, the harder it is to get promotions. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, when you're leveling up in a video game. You gotta get more XP each time. Absolutely, yeah. I also... I, I like that 
the people to, you know, pin the new badges on her or everything are Hammond and Jack. Hell yeah. Which makes sense. They're the two heads of the base. But, and also he's specifically directly her superior. Exactly. So no, it's, no, it's, it's very respectful having her uh, most trusted commander and then that other most trusted commander. Yeah. Being the ones who... I, I always appreciate it when it's somebody that you know giving the honor versus some nameless Absolutely. higher up who's just there because... Because his admin told him he had to be that day. Yeah. They didn't have the Secretary of Defense put it on her. Yeah. To be fair, he wasn't a shithole in this episode, so that's actually... No, I like so this guy. This is the first politician me. that I haven't hated. Yeah. I mean, obviously, since it was Robert C. Cooper, this episode wasn't probably not gonna... Wasn't gonna really suck. There was probably not a high chance of it sucking. Well, I mean... It was a pleasantly surprising episode for me. If that was the point. Well, that's what, yeah, but that's what I mean, is I like that the episode doesn't suck because it doesn't fall on easy stuff. Like, yeah. the Secretary of Defense actually has a bit of a personality. Yeah, he does. He definitely visibly yeah. has a personality. Yeah. I uh, like the that. The Gold even have individual personalities. Barely. Yes. They're not given too much time to develop, and I'm not no. going to you know, sing their praises on that one, but it's not no, terrible. No. Well, um, you see come back, so. Of a, yeah. And then the Asgard get more of a, a bit more of a foundation built for them, and hell, the, the replicators even get introduced in this episode as a concept. Oh, as, yeah. As a far-off mention. I was, I couldn't remember who their yeah. far-off threat was. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I think this season ends with the replicators appearing. I think so, yeah. I think you're right. Um, uh, which means so, that Replicator is unfortunately coming up sooner yeah. rather than later at this point. And I'm just like, oh, yay, the countdown started. Woo, I'm so excited. I mean, excited. isn't Replicator like... Like season seven or something. After Daniel gets resurrected? Yeah, no, it's a while from I know, I was like, isn't wrong. that a but while the countdown- <laughs> Mel, it's happening, and that therefore is annoying. But yeah, so I um I just really like that there's a lot of little bits of actual individualization given to every character Absolutely. in this episode, On that no matter note, how small. Um, I think it's very interesting that like the Asgard got introduced by Catherine Powers, and um, you notice that like a lot of times people, the, the writers that introduce a concept or a character are the ones who are most reliably gone to to continue to write them. Yeah. But Robert C. Cooper, I feel like, has done a lot more with the Asgard after the fifth race than Catherine Powers has. Catherine Powers' Asgard have been holograms, and that's it, really. Yeah, and they were, and I mean this not as a shitty, like, she sucks, <laughs> as a writer kind of, uh, cri- yeah. I don't say this as a criticism, I say this as a, this was literally what they were intended to be, but exactly, the Asgard yeah. from her, um, writing were literally meant to be caricatures. Yeah, exactly, yeah, they were, po- they were posing as caricatures. Yeah. Whereas they Robert C. Cooper- What they are now. Robert C. Cooper was the first one to really introduce them as a species with personality and mm-hmm. identities and everything. So, yeah. of course- we get such a, I, for a CG alien voiced by Michael Shanks, there is so much nuance to all of uh, Thor's conversations with Jack. I love Daniel's presence in this episode because yes. the first ten minutes, it seemed as though he was just there to be a, just, just there to be the guy who has facial expressions <laughs> to everything. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It no. was funny as hell for me. It was and so then, good. And then Thor shows up, and I'm like, oh, that's right, because he has other things he's doing. He has to do all the lines later. It's a ha-ha. And then he had yeah, better scenes a... as it went on. I went, okay, no, this is just a great Daniel episode. Yeah, there there was a lot of uh, Thor dialogue, so yeah, he was definitely busy. Yeah, but for a little bit there, I was kind of like, okay, is Daniel just, like, not 
a presence in this episode because he's just kind of there to be like frowny face or scared face or puzzled face or (laughs) face or jack face or oh god there's a moment of such jack face later on so uh, yeah but then i guess like i said as the episode kept going i i had to keep acknowledging that oh nope 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 that's right robert c cooper just really knows what he's doing because he crams a lot into an episode but at the same time nothing too heavy happens like it's not too jam-packed and it's yeah the episode didn't take too long, it felt like to me. It was I think it says a lot about his skill as a writer that an episode that is about a treaty meeting Yeah, that should have been boring is as interesting. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, it should have sucked. It should and have yet, been politics all over again, but no. It's because it was more about the machinations of the treaty than the actual treaty scene mm-hmm. itself. And I think that once again just goes back to what we're saying, which is that the writer knows what he's doing. Absolutely. Um, so, like we said earlier, there's not too much humor in this episode. That's not what this episode is here for. But, uh, all the humor that we do get is basically from Jack. And one of my, uh, my first great notes of his, his, uh, humor is that he stands, he, he steps forward to give a little speech about, you know, Sam getting her promotion and everything. And he starts with, normally, I'm a man of few words. And then he gets teleported up. And what I love about this is that we cut up to where he got teleported to in the Nazgard ship, and apparently his very next line was, and in conclusion, I'd like to say... <laughs> That's such a good speech! <laughs> he is such a smartass. I, I love him. I love it! Oh, it took me a second to realize he, that was literally just his whole speech, because I was like, wait... It was teleporting. It's an instantaneous thing, and he only just realized he's not on the stage anymore, which means it literally just fucking happened. I um, I really did appreciate the uh, the audio continuing like that because if it yes. hadn't, it you, it's always kind of an indication given with transporters is that they're kind of aware of what's happening as it's happening and so forth. And it's kind of funny because the episode itself kind of drops this immediately because you'll see Jack several times being aware of the transport and still communicating effectively while it's happening as if it's not an instantaneous thing (laughs) but this time of course it's instantaneous because it's you know funny but i do appreciate it still even though it's convenient because that little audio bit does kind of for once give a different take on beaming because in like in star trek for example it's always a very long process yeah people have time to like actually react during the process sometimes even but yeah it's um something's always kind of annoyed me in star sorry in star trek is when I see somebody mid-transport, it's always in, like, specific situations where it's usually, like, danger is occurring at the yeah. same time. But I hate it when you can see the person being rematerialized. You can see them moving and escaping, like, the containment field of what a transporter would do if this technology existed, you know? Uh-huh. And it always drove me crazy watching people move while being transported. Because I'm like, how is the computer putting... <sighs> Dude, there's so much math already having to be done there. Don't make it harder for the computer by moving. Yeah. Now, of course, having said that from a scientific point of view, I'm sure it would make, not scientific so much as, like, mathematical, um, I'm sure it makes more sense to have to have to actually do it longer, like yeah. it does show later in the episode, because that's a fuck ton of math! <laughs> like, it would probably take a bit. It probably, it takes a couple seconds to send a fucking fax. So I'm sure <laughs> that a transport probably takes more than a second or two. So yeah, I both criticized the beginning because it immediately dropped the instantaneous um, <laughs> premise, but I also really like it because of the new take 
It's funny. Maybe he just really hates doing public speeches, so he was, like, <laughs> really distracted. <laughs> and it just took him a full, like, two seconds to realize he was gone. Yeah. You know, that could work. <laughs> That's why uh, his way, I love so it. short. <laughs> there you go. It, you know what, Mel? That makes sense to me, so I'm There you go. Yeah, I had to write the entire script out because it was so good. <laughs> it's terrific. <laughs> his entire speech was two sentences. <laughs> That is the only good kind of speech. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so he's in an Asgard ship and Thor greets him. Um, and I love that, like, Thor's trying to have, like, a serious conversation with him. And Jack's just so distracted. He just keeps, like, looking around and be like, okay, what, what? And he, like, looks out a window. He's like, are we in orbit around Earth? And Thor's like, yeah. And he's like, you know we have satellites to, like, spot this kind of shit, right? And Thor's like, You've never spotted me before! And Jack's like, cool, I hate it. <laughs> I, I do love that, that, basically just saying, yeah, you, you haven't detected us yet. <laughs> like, oh, that's comforting. Yeah! <laughs> oh, I forgot my note from earlier. Uh, did you see Daniel's face where he just kept watching where Jack had been as he got <laughs> transported up? Because he's, he's not even doing, like, a blink-blink. He's looking kind of, like, distraught. A little, just like, oh my god, what the fuck just happened? And I, um, it's not even really funny for me so much as just like, damn, good job, Michael Shanks, for once yeah. again. <laughs> I just wanted to make, make sure I said it. Like you said, uh, a lot of this episode is just the Daniel facial reaction yeah. episode, and like, it doesn't matter. Michael Shanks still manages to like put his all just into yeah. those like two second facial reaction shots. And that's actually another good point, I think, to the directing is I like a lingering shot that shows not just the kidnapping of Jack, but shows the immediate Reactions. aftermath. Yeah. 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 So uh, he Thor tells Jack that killing Hathor pissed off a lot of the system lords. And Jack, uh, rightfully so in my mind, is like, really? I thought they would have been thanking us. Especially since she like suggested that she was sniping people from other system lords. Like, it really posed like that she was, like, out on the outskirts, you know? See, here's, here's the thing, you know, as, uh, as you know, Teok even mentions in this episode, the Go'ul are, sorry, I'm not making noise while I do this, <laughs> um, it made a lot of sense to me because I just, I had no problem believing that the Go'ul would absolutely, while at each other's throats, if they saw somebody else, somebody they especially saw, um, as an insignificant or inferior, yeah. if they saw that person come in and then take out their enemy, even if it was, like, mid-fight, they would stop and go, hey, fuck you. That's fair. Also, it was probably, like, really embarrassing to find out she died by getting tossed into a cryo pit. Right, and the, the idea of a, you know, lowly human being what takes out a, a god cannot be good for their image. So No. So, yeah, it was more, I think it was mostly just, like, a, yeah, they probably would be thankful if it was another goal who had done it. But unfortunately, they're <laughs> unfortunately. also hella fucking racist. Yes. Uh, so he says that, like, um... He, he offers uh, assistance, and Jack's like, oh, cool, we saw your work, you know, on your protected planet. We could really use that set of work here. And Thor's like, no, we're busy elsewhere. We cannot send that kind of uh, firepower to come help you. Uh, but I would like to negotiate a treaty for you with the System Lords to have you added to the Protected Planets Treaty. Um, you know, I looked it up in the trivia, and uh, it wasn't there. And I didn't continue to look it up further, but... <sighs> Not that it's bad that the Asgard are doing this, but they even mentioned, oh yeah, we have other shit going on in our home galaxy. And I'm like, okay, so why are you here protecting humans? Not that I'm against it, but I have questions. Like, why are you doing this? Who made you the the police of the gal of the universe? It's not even in, it's not, you're, 
This isn't even your galaxy. Again, not complaining, but I do have questions. Well, I would say, um, on that note, so the other planet before was part of their protected planets. Right. Okay. But why? And I would say at this point, the reason he's involving himself in this plot is specifically because of what happened after the fifth race and the fact that he was acknowledging that the humans were on the way to becoming the fifth race. Yeah. So he's looking at cultivating that, basically. Yeah, I mean, and he's he, a resource this is the best have, he so. can do to cultivate them right now. He can send one of them along to to uh, nudge them in the right direction, more or less. Yeah, no, th- see, that part's fine. I- I'm not gonna argue that i mostly just i just i would love to know what the conversation was like back on asgard to send him it's like hey so i need you to go take a five minute drive to the milky way and go uh it's a good thing we don't have a prime directive so i'm gonna need you to go interfere (laughs) in the the relations of a wildly separate planet that has nothing to do with us but enemy of my enemy and all plus they seem to be pretty related to those ancients yeah and so on yeah it doesn't not make sense but it it just i would love that conversation i'd love to see like that one asgard in the background going why are we putting our resources into this i would have i would pay good money to have somebody make me a fan film that's just (laughs) like the shittiest most boring movie all about the Asgard politics behind the scenes. Because I would Beautiful. love to see what some of these conversations, how like, they went Please down. tell me it would be like string puppets for the Asgard <laughs> instead of CGI. I'm trying to imagine a sea of little gray ones, and I'm pretty sure it would look probably as bad as I'm sure the replicators are going to look once we get there. <laughs> Just a million tiny little computerized images running around on the screen. Yeah. Um... Isn't the first time they show up on our screen, the submarine one, the one that uh, Michael Shanks had appendicitis for, so he got yeah. he got yeah. immediately written out of the episode? He's even lying down in it, <laughs> just saying, yeah, of all the things that almost kills me, you'd think it would be any of those things and not my fucking appendix, but... <laughs> It's, it, that's later. Yeah, I think that's at the end of this season. Yeah. So yeah, it would, I'm sure I'd be bitching about the CGI of, of that fan film the entire time. But no, that's why we I'd get still like to see stupid it. string puppets instead of CGI. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> it would be like that one that one scene from episode 200. I was just thinking the same thing. Oh, I love that episode. God, someday we'll get to episode 200. That'll probably be a four hour long episode. <laughs> oh, someday, someday. <laughs> Alright, uh, so... Sorry, where am I in my fucking notes? (laughs) No, you're good. We got wildly off topic there. Yeah, okay. So, Thor's... Thor leaves. He teleports out after telling Jack, like, hey, I'm setting up this treaty for you guys. And Jack starts... And he tells Jack, like, I trust you could see yourself home, more or less. And Jack... And he just teleports out, and Jack's just left in his ship, like, uh... Is someone going to send me home? (laughs) Hello? (laughs) I do enjoy what looks like... It kind of looks to me as though the Asgard ships don't really have doors. Because that's his ship, and Thor is getting beamed from room to room, apparently. I think... I think this is evidence of the Asgard have a great sense of humor. (laughs) 
I, yeah, maybe it's him just, just being a shithead to heat Jack because life is stressful for the Asgard and you gotta get your jollies where you can, so I might as well just be like, yeah, so, uh, peace, and then just leave the hapless human in your, uh, command room for a couple of seconds while he's like, hey, I'm still in orbit here. Um, <laughs> I believe I'll, it. You Listen, know, as I said episode... it, I realized how true that must have been. I could see it. <laughs> yeah, uh, this episode does a lot to show that, like, while we might struggle to uh, read their facial expressions or their social cues, there's definitely a lot of complexities going on with the Asgard. I always got a, a huge sense of attitude from them. Not just because, obviously, yes. what the show was going for, but, like, beyond that, I always just kind of felt a little bit of extra childlike glee or disdain, sometimes, yeah. from them. Like, Hermiod is one of my favorite uh, Asgard later, um, I think he's on the Daedalus? Yeah, I think I think he's on the Daedalus later. Um, and he he gets so pissy when at one point they, he, the humans aren't supposed to use the Asgard technology that they get later. They're not supposed to use it for, like, weapons. Hermione has to help them violate the rules. Oh, this is an SGA, I'm remembering it now. And so he has to help them violate the rules by using the beaming technology to beam, like, a torpedo somewhere or something like that. And the whole time he's angry muttering in his own language in the background. <laughs> and I love that about the Asgard is because you can have this little gray dude who you can't even see his face. Like, what he's doing with his face, really. Yeah. And yet you get that cranky old man vibe from him the entire time. And... It's, I, anybody who can use a puppet to make me laugh that sincerely knows what they're doing. Absolutely. So Jack gets sent back down to Earth after yelling, like, hey, can, can, you, can you send me back? Uh, he gets sent back, and this is one of those examples I was talking about earlier where we come to with them walking into the briefing room. Like, we don't cut in the briefing room. We walk, we cut in as they're walking in and setting up in the briefing room, and we're clearly at the end of Jack explaining what he just had the conversation with uh, Thor about. Such good writing. It's such a little thing. It is such a little thing. But one of my biggest pet peeves, as I have definitely ranted to you before, is when a writer will have a character experience something and then recount it in the next scene <laughs> and punish the fucking audience for some reason because they were the suckers who for some reason just happened to be there for the first time. God, I hit my desk in anger. <laughs> it's like, why is the audience getting punished for this? We were there for the first thing. Why do we need to see, hear it again? It's just the weirdest technique that I see everywhere in TV and books everywhere. Yeah. If there's a character I know I whine to you about in a particular book I like, there's a book I like called... There's a character, well, okay, there's a book I've read. <laughs> I don't like it. There's a book I read once, and there's a character in it. She spends the entire fucking time, it feels like, spending an entire five or six pages describing how she is advent has the advantage in this situation because she knows all of these things, but also knows that her opponent doesn't know that she knows all these things, and then describes why she's in this place of advantage because of it. And then, in the next fucking scene <laughs> she will then spend the next six to twelve pages describing it to that person as <laughs> if she didn't just have the conversation to herself about why that gave her the advantage so not only is it beyond stupid i got punished and had to read it twice <laughs> and it's just I've so stupid i've heard this rant about this particular right? yeah so book hey at least i kept it short this time like at least 13 times? or no at least 13 14 times now it <laughs> <laughs> has to be but my whole oh, yeah, point. I live with you for a while. Exactly. So, I'm sure. so at that, so with that in mind, when a writer doesn't do that, it, I will I almost want to cry with joy. I'll give credit to the show as a whole 
For the most part, all the writers do that in this show. It's almost as if they're aware they only have 40 minutes and don't yeah. want to waste it on doing the same thing twice. But I don't care what not... the reason is. As long as you don't do it, I'm happy. Yeah, because this is not the first time that we've cut into a briefing room where it's already been explained, what we already know. Yeah, I just kind of like how this one did it with like the tail end of it rather than like yeah exactly. Uh, sometimes I, I do think... like a, as per his briefing or whatever, but it'll be so long gone by this point that you didn't. They're not. They're just referencing it as a footnote instead of this yeah. really tying it up. Well, it, it makes sense also because they're walking into the briefing room instead of already being in the briefing room. So like as they were going into the briefing room, he was explaining why they need to be meeting here to talk. You know. It makes complete sense, and I think it's a great uh, combination of Robert C. Cooper's competence and Martin Wood's competence. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I agree. That's just, yeah. <laughs> yes, 100%. Uh, so. Uh, oh, God. Sorry, my note, when, uh, right before Thor sent him back, though, Jack yeah. was asking, like, hey, so, not that we don't appreciate the help, but, like, we could sure use some of your weapons instead. And speaking of, you know, getting some tood, I just love Thor's face, which is, which literally just kind of screams at him, bitch please, we're not giving you warships. <laughs> like, no, you will take the treaty, and you will be happy with it. <laughs> kind of like well, a parent. There's, even outside of that, I feel like a lot, uh, and Robert C. Cooper's done his best in the fifth race as well to um, suggest this, that, like, the Asgard aren't trying to... The Asgard definitely believe in the whole give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, teach a man to fish, he'll eat for his whole life, or whatever the saying is, you know. Like, they don't think that giving SGC technology immediately is going to help them in the long run. And I think that this episode does a perfect uh, portrayal of that. Because, like, he gives Jack the opening to make his own way. And, like, even when Jack later on tries to be like, hey, so what should I be doing here? He's very much like, this is your decision. I, I gave you the opening. I got this treaty for you. What you do with this now, what your race does with this opening now, is on you. And you're only going to grow if you make these decisions and machinations yourself. I like how he's very right. I just... <laughs> The Asgard as a whole amuse me a little and also yeah. piss me off because they're kind of like that semi-benevolent god who's also just a little full of himself. Oh yeah, 100%. They they skirt the line, thankfully. Um, they, 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 they tow it, but they don't go over it, thankfully. Yeah. Because they don't... They're arrogant, but not in an unacceptable way, I guess. Listen. <laughs> and they seriously do just want the best for the galaxy, for the future, whatever yeah, yeah, that future yeah. might hold. They just want it to be good. So they want to help, and they want to help just because they want to help. But the way they go about it sometimes, I'm sitting there going like, <sighs> I feel like I've read this book before, and it annoyed me the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ultimately, all of the original four races are a little bit, you know, full of themselves. <laughs> have a, I just like, even the like Nox, how the Asgard aren't the Nox, though, with hiding. Yeah, the Nox, like, the problem with the Nox is that, like, they, they present themselves as these humble... You know, but, like, they have a very firm idea about what's right, and if you don't agree with that, then they judge you for it. Let's let's put it this way. Let's, that, that, this is how I've been putting it to myself. The difference between the Nox and Wakanda is Wakanda gives a fuck. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you know, they're really technologically advanced. They hide their shit away so no one else can know. But 
The Knox talk big and only give a fuck about themselves. Yeah, ultimately, yeah. Well, and I, I'm not going to judge a whole species for, you know, caring about itself and being a little xenophobic and not wanting to have anything to do with the whole rest of the galaxy or whatever. Fine, you want to do that? Be my guest. That is your prerogative. Mm-hmm. But up until the point where a bunch of humans had to finally tell you to bury your fucking Stargate, yeah. um, <laughs> the fact that you just, you know, dipped your toes in every now and then, but not really, and was and were, were perfectly content with knowingly let with knowingly letting wholesale slaughter and subjugation go on in your own backyard, I'll judge you for that a little. Yeah, absolutely. Just a little, you know? Yeah. I think ultimately, you know, what we've seen, obviously we never saw the furlings, but I think ultimately what we've seen of all of the four races, yeah, they've all got some ego problems, but they're all different races, so they all portray them in different ways. Hell yeah. And I think out of all of them, the Asgard probably have the most tolerable egos. Probably. Yeah. The Nox have the most, like, like, visibly friendly countenance, but it's that kind of, like, judging you behind your back, (laughs) which is not pleasant. Whereas the Asgard will let you know when they're judging you. <laughs> yeah. And then the agents, the ancients are a bunch of shitheads, so. There's like four ancients that I like, and they were all the ones that got in trouble. Because yeah. they didn't agree with the whole plan. And yeah, the exactly. whole reason why they don't help is because they're literally bound into not being able to help. It's not a choice for them. No. Nope. So for those guys... I'm here for them, and I yeah. don't have any problems with their arrogance, because when they act arrogant and their small, limited, you know, appearances on the show, it's usually because they literally know more, and they yeah. know that they know more, and they're not trying to be arrogant, they're just conveying knowledge, and it comes across a certain way. Absolutely. It's kind of like without the Asgard, too, actually, I think, now that I, now that I say that. I think it's kind of like that, too, with them, where they just kind of are conveying knowledge, and it accidentally exactly. comes across a little arrogant. That's why, like, yeah, they're a little arrogant, but, like, ultimately, they are trying to help Earth. That's, you know, I think it has to do with good writing there, too, because as we'll learn later, a lot of the reason I think the reason why they act like this is because they've already learned the great lesson of hubris in yeah. their past. So they're they're that mature because they've had to be. <laughs> they've come Absolutely. to this part naturally, and so now they have great a great wealth of information to give you because of it. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's smart. But yeah, so... Once they all arrive in the briefing room, Thor teleports himself in, and everyone kind of startles, and Jack's like, don't worry, I'll vouch for it. Um, And Thor tells them that three representative goals have agreed to meet on Earth to negotiate, and that Jack will be the negotiator. And Jack tries to, like, be like, oh, well, you know, Daniel should really be the one. He he knows lots of languages, and uh, he doesn't stick his foot in his mouth as much as I do. And uh, <laughs> and while he's having this conversation, it's one of those subtle little inside joke directing moments with Martin Wood where he keeps cutting between Thor and Daniel. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to say it now because I'm, I'm worried I might forget that later, but that is one of the many yes. cough, cough moments. Uh, my favorite actually is one I, I didn't think about it until I read the trivia, but the people who play uh, the other two gold besides um, Kronos for Nearty and for you, uh-huh. They're actually both off-screen people normally. Uh, the chick who plays Nerti is played by a woman named uh, Jacqueline Samuda, and she is a story editor normally. And the huh. guy who plays you is a stunt guy normally. Okay, I can I can believe that with you. <laughs> and the cool thing about this, I think that might have been one of those camera nods later, is that scene where you gets saved. 
Yeah. He's poking out a hole in his shirt. Yes. The guy is always getting, you know, put in uh -huh. danger, shoved out. The, the person who's always the one who has to get shot or fake shot or whatever. <laughs> the stunt guy is the guy who almost gets shot in this. And I think something about it, nothing about it was actually that meta, but everything about him poking at the bullet hole in his clothing <laughs> and the way the scene kind of played out, I couldn't help but think that had to be like a camera nod to him being a stunt guy. Well, I kind of felt that, cutting ahead, um, maybe it was twofold, I thought that the camera focused on him poking at the bullet hole to show how close he was to getting hurt and that Jack saved him. Yeah, that's a, you know what the yeah. camera was obviously trying to indicate, but the fact that it would happen to be the stunt guy who's doing the poking okay. at the yeah, bullet yeah, yeah. hole and everything, because the stunt people are the ones who are always that close to death. Because yeah. they're the ones doing Absolutely. all the dangerous work. So I just thought it was kind of a funny little... Well, I mean, the fact that he was a stunt guy is probably why, like, maybe... <laughs> I don't know why they decided to cast him. He does a good job. Um, I think they both do for not being usually behind the camera. But, like, the fact that when he does get tackled down, it's like, oh, we don't have to sub in a, a stunt guy. Exactly, You're already exactly. a stunt guy. Yeah, as soon as I knew he was a stunt guy, I was like, oh, okay, that yeah, somehow like tracks with that little scene could just be everybody listening is like, I, what? What is she talking about? That's not in any way, shape, or form one of those camera nods. Maybe maybe that's right, but I just, I feel like it was one to me, and so to me it made me happy. Listen, one way or another, that's fun information to find out. There you go. But yeah, putting it on record, I'm aware it's a, we a weird stretch, but it felt <laughs> like it to me. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Jack reluctantly agrees, um, and to, you know, lead the discussion for the treaty. And we cut to Daniel giving one of his mini lectures to SGC on uh, mythology. And he's talking about Cronus first. And we find out from Teal'c that Cronus was one of the original responsible for banishing Sokar and also a mortal enemy of Apophis. He explains that the system lords will reluctantly work together if there is a bigger threat like the Asgard or the Ritu, but typically squabble over domains infighting that kind of thing which makes sense we already you know learned about that with Sokar that for the most like everyone knows where to find you but we're busy arguing amongst ourselves so we don't give a shit about you I know I complained about it but I do appreciate this episode for pointing out not, not pointing out sorry for reinforcing it reinforcing it yeah I appreciate this episode for giving it more substance because yeah. if it hadn't it was just going to remain this bullshit off-screen one-liner that just happens to conveniently allow your show to continue. But now it's actually a real element of the show that's kind of got something to it. It's still a convenience, don't get me wrong, but it's far less convenient when given a whole episode of dedication. Absolutely. No, I think this, uh, this episode does a lot to strengthen the points yeah. that were made in the yeah. Sokar episode. But yeah, so... Daniel moves on to the second system lord, who is you, and Jack, of course, makes the obvious me joke. And Daniel just goes, just gives him, my, my note here says, Jack makes the obvious me joke, and Daniel's tired of his shit. Accurate. <laughs> That's literally the face he gives him, it's just, it's a, it's a disappointed wife face, honestly. It's definitely not a criticism because it fits the whole, the overall tone of the episode, especially from Daniel's kind of perspective, but I really do appreciate how uh, low Daniel kind of lies in this whole episode. Like, his, yeah. his whole demeanor in this episode is just subdued and not really here for anything, but trying nonetheless. Yeah, that, I, I actually make a note of it later where, um, I, I, 
I'll get to it eventually. But basically where I was like, I feel like a lot of the reason he seems to like lay low a lot in this episode is that like he is a bit more of a schemer among their group. <laughs> and like he's, I think he does a lot of the volunteering he does to keep an eye on things. I could see that. Yeah, he's a bit of a control freak, and also hates these people and wants to gain any bit of insight he can into them on the off chance it might help him find his wife. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely feel like like that's why he takes the role he does in this episode. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, he he talks about you, and he says that, like, because obviously, um... I thought you said for a second that he was talking about me. I pulled the jack. (laughs) Okay, well, we know you're jack for this episode, I guess. Seriously, I was like, the fuck he was? And then it clicked. And it's like, it's, it's, I, I watched the episode. <laughs> and I still fell for it. Well, I definitely feel like Daniel for this episode because I actually really appreciated that when he talks about you, he basically says he, that you doesn't really represent a god per se, but like the first emperor of China. I don't remember the exact details of it, but like, I, I appreciated the fact that like, with my vague memories of uh, studying ancient China in history class, it lined up entirely that he's not representing a god, he's representing the first emperor of China. And I think, again, that uh, ascribes to Robert C. Cooper, who actually does his research and like knows what he's writing about. <laughs> yeah, you ever notice how we do less reading on episodes we know were written by good writers? It's weird. We trust we don't... him! <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's just it. Like, I forgot who wrote the episode that featured Seth, um, but... I immediately looked up Blaster. who Set was. Oh, that, yep, that, that's why. Because I immediately do research. Yeah, but I immediately looked up Set to, like, figure out if any of that was, like, vaguely true. Meanwhile, here, when Daniel said his whole thing, I didn't even question it. Well, I will say, like, I didn't question it because I, like I said, I do have vague memories of that, like, what he said about you made complete sense with my right. vague memories of ancient right. Chinese mythology and that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think this is very important. This is another one of those, like, it's not as obvious as later on the Chekhov's healing device. Um, but I think, like I said, this episode does a lot of planting a lot of things early on that always come up at the end of the episode. And I think this briefing that he's giving about the System Lords coming to visit is very important for... It very clearly sets a resolution at the end, to be honest. Because when we hear about Kronos, we hear that he... Banished Sokar, someone that they've had to deal with and have had problems with, and also that he was an enemy of Apophis, another person that they had to deal with and killed and that kind of shit. So that's what we know about Cronus. And then when he's talking about you, he, you know, says a whole bunch of stuff about him, but he ends it by saying that he's been known to do a lot of benevolent things as well in his position. And so that's what we end with you, is that we know that he has actually done benevolent things as well in in his system lord. Seems to have a code of honor. Yeah. And then our final system lord is Nirti. Yeah, she a bitch. The one who was responsible for Cassandra and is the only one out of this list of system lords who has actively attacked SGC before. He really did set up how the episode was going to go with those three gold. We have the first guy with some honor. We have the second guy with seems like an iota more honor. And then we have this third bitch who has fucking none. It's all very well connected and bridged together. Yeah, it's, uh, and it also, like, ultimately, the way Nirti goes about what she does in this episode also just matches the way she went about the plot with Cassandra. It's a lot of subterfuge and, and hiding. Oh yeah, no, she's very underhanded, whereas the other two yeah. are very overt in their actions. 
Exactly. Yes, they're much more straightforward about it. They're more commanders, where yeah. she's more of a spy. I like all of this, because, like I said, all three of them have a very distinct individual personality and set of traits that goes with it. You, who's like, damn, I was close to death there. Like, that's... Ooh. But he's, like, contemplating it. You know, he's very calm. And then yes. when Kronos reacts to things, it's always with, like, disdain and anger, but also a, a sense of uh, that almost shouting, booming. And then you got Nirti, who everything she does is kind of sly. Like, a little like a snake in the grass. Now, I will criticize one thing, which is I feel like too often women fall into the snake in the grass thing. Yeah. We're considered the weaker ones, so therefore we fall into the quote-unquote underhanded tactics, and it's like... Yeah. I mean, Game of Thrones even did it. Well, the books did it, you know, first, obviously, with um, Song of Ice and Fire, where he points out poison's the, the weapon of a woman. Yeah. While this is a criticism, it's not so much a criticism of the show writer, it's a criticism of humanity. Yeah. Uh, so Martin Wood does more reaction shots where right after Daniel, you know, talks about Nirti, we get lingering shots on both Janet and Sam, who are visibly unhappy with the idea of Nirti coming here. Yeah, it's like, hmm, this bitch that tried to kill our daughter is yeah, exactly. coming to the planet. Great. Uh-huh. So Hammond asks Teal'c, because <laughs> Hammond sometimes is very stupid. <laughs> Hammond asks Teal'c to act as a liaison, and Teal'c is like, no. Like, he, and he's very polite about it. He's like, look, I, you know, I bid my life for this organization, and you know, I, I respect you and all that stuff, but do not ask me to do this. I, I will not see this. to the petty needs of the goal. Yes, yeah, I do love, yeah, he says the petty needs, and then Daniel's like, I, I'll see to the petty needs. <laughs> Which, this is the part where I was like, um, the, the especially the fact that he directly quotes Teal'c again with the petty needs. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's A, him agreeing with Teal'c that right. they are petty needs. Oh, yeah. And B, this is the part where I have the note where I'm like, probably to keep a closer eye on them. Daniels, as always, is doing his job of being a bridge. And, and the whole point of the bridge is obviously to reduce friction yeah. and turmoil. So he's always been good at being able to take a step back mm-hmm. and be the calm and the force of the storm. Absolutely. And even though he's exceptionally miserable doing it here, as you can probably see in his face oh, yeah. throughout the thing, he uh, he'd always he, he's always been able to do his job pretty damn well, and this is a further continuation of that, because he just takes it over from Teal'c very easily, because he's trying to reduce friction, and he knows, he can obviously tell, as everyone has with what Teal'c just said, that this is obviously going to be a sticking point, so yeah. it needs to be done if this is going to happen. So he just very competently, to use a word we've been going with here, steps up <laughs> to the plate to take over. Yeah, I think there's something very specific about Daniel's um, personality that helps him to handle these kind of egotistical people because, like, he, you can see in his eyes that he's like, you're a a petty little child, (laughs) you know? Like, there's a a sense of ego in Daniel's uh, reading of them, in a way. (laughs) I nearly got detention once because I didn't do debate because I, because unlike Daniel, I don't do well in the face of egotistical assholes. I just kind of yeah. start telling them what I think. And uh, we had to do a debate thing, though, in our English class one year. And so I went home that night and I printed off a cartoon middle finger <laughs> because I was told specifically by my teacher that I needed to keep my opinions to myself during it. So I said, okay, and I t- brought that thing in instead and taped it to my forehead when it was my turn. Oh my god. Needless to say, I had to redo my presentation. She did not She did not accept that as a uh, real presentation. And I still lost 10% off my score because I did that. <laughs> but 
but it was worth, worth it. it. It was yeah. worth it. <laughs> but yeah, just, it just highlights to me the difference in why I couldn't do uh, Daniel's job, because he has so much personally invested in hating Goa Old, and yet without even question steps up to deal personally with three really shitty ones. So yeah. So we find out from uh, Thor that treaty law permits that no weapons be in the facility during negotiations, and for that matter, the base will be sealed off in the security of defense sec- security. <laughs> I wrote sec because I didn't want to write secretary every time. That makes sense. Uh, so <laughs> the secretary of defense is going to be staying in the base during these treaties to represent the president. And this is where the Chekhov's gun comes in, where we see a scene where they go to a, a safe in the wall where apparently the, the hand devices are all kept. And uh, we see Sam hand off two of them. And then the guy she's handing him off to is like, what about that one? And she's like, no, no, this is a healing device. And then she puts it back in. The only thing that bugs me about this is I have no problem believing that the people on Thor's planet from, you know, Thor's cherry, I have no problem believing that they told Sam, hey, you should probably have this since you can actually use it. Unlike Kendra, who's, you know, dead. But having said that, those were Kendra's devices, at least two of them, because they got them from Kendra's headstone in that one episode. And I think it's really funny that the things that were used to adorn someone's grave were were very easily taken without any problems, because some people would consider that Here's desecration. The thing. I don't know if that healing hand device is from Kendra, because I feel like wasn't there another episode where we got another one from somewhere else? I think it had to do with the Tokra. I think we got a healing device somehow. Did we get one around, from like, them? the Tokra or something? I, I, I couldn't tell you when, but I swear to God, we got a healing device from somewhere else. And the hand device with the little claws, sorry, but the hand device with the little claws from Set. I suppose he's talking about the big wide one that they had introduced as a healing device. If it turns out to be from somewhere else, great. If it is, though, the one that they got from Kendra, I do have to acknowledge that's a little funny that they just like went, well, I guess we'll just keep this now. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. If that is the case, that is a little funny. Yeah. Did they get it when the Joel in our episode happened? I don't think it was a healing one from that one, though. Well, like the the um the the spy who was coming after her had yeah, one, but that was a he? that was a a weapon, but not a healing device. Okay, so okay, so the hand device with the little claws on it that was from Set. Yep. The smaller one that was from the Jolinar spy. And I can't track where the healing device one came from, but I swear it also came from an episode that was not Kendra's grave. But I can't tell you what it is, so. I will give it a 50-50 chance, because I swear to God it has, but I couldn't tell you, so I'm, I'm giving it a straight 50-50 chance that they stole from Kendra's gravestone. <laughs> if it was that one, I just find it funny that they must have had a conversation where they're like, oh, so we're just gonna take, take this. these, by the way. <laughs> and again, I could totally see the people from that planet saying, well, yeah, duh, they're useful to you, and we, yeah. we're not, you know, we'd, I'm pretty yeah, sure Kendra would have wanted Sam to have it, honestly, yeah, yeah. rather than it be just left there because the whole thing mm-hmm. with Kendra was she had a whole traumatic past and yet she was still using her abilities Absolutely, that it gave her yeah. to do good things so I could totally see her being like no seriously give this to the next person who can do good things with it so not I'm not I'm not having a problem with it but if it is Kendra's I do still find it a little funny because no, yeah. regardless of it it still had to be a mildly awkward thing taking something from someone's grave oh, yeah. site and saying Absolutely. cool I'm gonna just say finders keepers now <laughs> No, 100%. 
So uh, then we get a little confrontation in the hallway because Teal doesn't want to hand over his staff weapon. Uh, but Hammond and Jack talk him into it. Dude, I love that scene for what it is because... Yes. So here's the thing. Slightly independent of their command structure or not, Teal'c has obviously done, like, his whole, you know, oath of fealty thing, and they're all very aware of the fact that there still has to be a, you know, a command power structure yeah, for Teal'c to be a part of in the hierarchy. So uh, that's, you know, the whole reason why he does defer to Jack and Hammond and so on. On top of that, he's also just very respectful and not an egotistical macho asshole. So he no. doesn't break orders, and the reason why is... There's a myriad of reasons why, and they're, <laughs> they all build up to why Teal'c is such a good soldier, and then a commander soldier on top of that, as well as a friend soldier, and all the things that a soldier can be, and then also exists as a person outside of that, too. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm always upset that he doesn't get more you know time and energy in this show. Yeah. But this scene is great because he has a moment of, he does have these moments outside of it too, where he has a bit of a spark of defiance to him because, you know, yeah. he's a person with his own mind. Absolutely. And I love this scene because not only does it showcase, you know, for Teal Kim being able to say, hey, I got a problem and I'm not going to just blindly follow orders, but it also shows what happens in the command structure when, it, when Teal has to act like this because they have to go, okay. That's not cool. We gotta do what we gotta do. Mm-hmm. But they don't just say, hey, do it, bitch. They they sit and they stop and go, okay, why? What's happening? And then they reinforce why Teal'c needs to give up the weapon. Well, but yeah, it's, it's that it's, mutual it's, respect between yeah. all of them. So it's still a conversation that takes place in the form of an order, and I just love the scene for it. Absolutely. Uh, so then we get the gold coming in through the gate. And uh, we see Daniel leading Cronus into his room, which has been dressed up for them. Uh, and I actually make this note later, but I'm going to ask it now. Where'd they get this shit from? No idea, Mel. None. I have two ideas. Either they raided Hathor's base. That could be a thing. Or Thor just gave them a bunch of shit. No, actually, I think you might be on something with that, because when they... You know, killed they killed everybody there basically, and yeah. supposedly Ellen didn't die. My uh, symbiote may yet heal me, so maybe <laughs> maybe there was more that happened after that. And you're right, they did actually have a gold base at their disposal afterwards. You know, yeah. Mel, you just poked a hole in something for me because now I'm gonna wonder from now on why the fuck there isn't any mention of any tech or anything. Like, why didn't they do more? With this Goa'uld base they had. Hmm. Oh, I, well, I would questions. say that there probably wasn't too much Goa'uld text and she was trying to pretend that it was... Yeah. Actually, as I was scene. whining... Yeah, that also, as I was whining, I just remembered that the Tok'ra were there. So maybe the Tok'ra had some dibs. Tok'ra probably took most of it. Yeah, they probably had dibs. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense, too. Okay, I take it back on a lot of that. But it would make sense they could get some <laughs> finery from there. Yeah, like, I was already like, wow, they, they really tried to, like, you know match his aesthetic but then like later on we see the the uh treaty room and i'm like okay there's more shit up where did you get this stuff from guys did you just like send an order to ikea what the fuck is going on i mean i'm not saying that they wouldn't be able to find these things but it couldn't have been like a five minute drive to the nearest pier one could it (laughs) unless daniel just had all this shit in the apartment he doesn't go back to now i kind of want that to be true Either they stole it from Hathor, or it's from Daniel's own personal collection. <laughs> Which means that when Cronus, like, puts his nose up about this room, he's insulting Daniel directly. Let's go with that one. Yeah, let's do that one. I like um, it. Yeah, so he, he's like, oh, these rooms suck, basically. And, and Daniel's like, well, 
I'm sorry you feel that way. We've done the best we can with our resources. <laughs> uh, and then we hear arguing break out in the hallway. And we go out and we see Teal'c is standing tensely with the other two old, uh, who are mad that there are cameras in their room. And they're like, your cameras were poorly hidden. And Daniel's like, yeah, they, they weren't they hidden. They weren't hidden. <laughs> we have these up for security purposes. And as he's saying that, you hands him one that he broke off from. I do love that. I do like how you saw the camera and just got a chair, climbed up, and went, yoink. <laughs> I love you. He's great. <laughs> I I love the way Daniel receives this camera because he's like he's he's in the middle of talking about how they're there for security reasons as you hands it to him, and I love it like so he doesn't like break in the middle of talking as he takes it, but he still takes it and like you can see the expression on his face. It's a lot like a cat owner who's just been given a dead mouse. <laughs> really? Like, what the fuck he's am I like, supposed to I don't do with want this? this. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he ultimately manages to get them to agree that, like, look, we'll take them out of your rooms, but they have to stay in the hallways. Daniel, once again, exercising his ability outside the command structure to yeah. do that. <laughs> Later on, we'll find out, like, he goes to Hammond about it, and Hammond's like, no, that's unacceptable. And Daniel's like, I already told them they could. I do love Daniel being a civilian there, because he has, yes. he says that, and Hammond has... No recourse. There's nothing to be done there. He can't do anything to Daniel about it. He can't even go, no. hey, airman, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> he just goes, great. I sure hope you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, uh, so we we definitely see, though, before they all break up, that, like, uh, Cronus absolutely, you know, has an issue. Cronus and Teal both have issues with each other, specifically. And Daniel also sees this, so as they leave after, you know, getting the gold to go back into the rooms, he, he walks off with Teal and he's like, okay, you need to tell me what's going on. I can tell it's not just that, you know, you know, having a problem with false gods, there's something here. And so Teal tells Daniel that, um, well, he tries at first to be like, oh, well, you know, I, I used to fight a lot of the Kronos Jaffa, and Daniel's like, no, no, don't, don't fob me off with that bullshit, this is more personal. What's going on? And Tilk's like, okay, fine. My dad used to be his first prime, and he gave my dad an impossible task. So when my dad inevitably failed that task, he killed him as punishment and banished my mom and me. So I joined Apophis and worked to become a first prime for Apophis, an enemy of Cronus, specifically to get back at him. That tells me that Tilk comes from a long line of good people, and it tells me that Tilk's dad was probably uh, gaining too much favor and status probably. among the people on Kronos' planet, so Kronos set up a situation that would uh, solve the problem. Oh, almost certainly. Especially, you know, when you look at Braytac and that Braytac probably knew Tilk's dad. Probably because they fought uh, against each other. Yeah. Since Apophis no, was it... a sworn enemy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so... It's a cool backstory. I would love to know more. I honestly... Absolutely. Once again, the show doesn't give enough um, attention to Teal'c, because there should be... That's cool. That 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 sets up a lot, and it shows... Uh, it gives you a whole another reason why Teal'c was so driven to work for the false gods that he mm -hmm. supposedly hated. Absolutely. I love it. I love the depth, the extra depth that gives Teal'c in this. But I also like that, like, Daniel's just kind of like, okay, well, I'm aware of this now. And you're going to stay away from Cronus and we'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, so Daniel goes to Hammond and tells about the camera issue. And like we said, Hammond's like, well, I'm sure you told them no. And Daniel's like, no, I told them they can take him out of their rooms. 
<laughs> and Hammond just has to let it happen. So, like we said, uh, Robert C. Cooper, master at constructing narratives. Yep. He like there's there's no fat on this episode everything in this episode has a purpose in being here and so later you have a perfect hallway footage shot of of Teal'c walking into Kronos's room and just conveniently don't have any other footage yeah exactly absolutely yeah so where am I in my fucking notes <laughs> Oh, so this is where I was like, where did they get all these decorations? Do they raid Hathor's base? Because this is where we go into the treaty room, where they've got a nice little table set out with, with papers in front of every seat, and everyone goes in. They, before the gold come in, um, Sam and Jack are in the treaty room alone, and Sam tells Jack, like, listen, uh, I didn't realize until I saw his face, but Cronus is the one responsible for ordering the kill on Jolinar. And Jack's like, look, I, I get it. You don't want him here. I don't want any of them anywhere. <laughs> and right when he says that, of course, the gold will come in. He's like, whoops. <laughs> but they all come in and sit at the tables and then Thor teleports down. And the gold all immediately start arguing with each other in gold. And Jack's just like looking between them all like, what the, what the fuck? <laughs> That being said, kudos to these guys. They did they did a slightly better job than um, Ellen and the other yeah. guy did in Their the Hathor episode. Their pronunciation was pretty good. Yeah, not only that, was there was just far fewer... Okay, in, in Hathor's episode, there were like these weird pauses between each word. Absolutely, yeah. As that you could tell like the tongues were struggling to create the next sound. Yeah. And here it actually it sounded, sounded like more an actual like people who speak this language on a yes. regular base. Mm-hmm. It's spaces. There we go. No, it sounded natural. Yeah. Um, it well, has to sound natural if you're going to have, like, a messy argument in it. And I think uh, the camera shots between all, like, Jack looking around and, like, going to the... I think the camera shooting here does a good job of showing, like, the, the hecticness of, like, what the fuck is going on? What are they arguing about? The only problem for me is this does kind of demonstrate for me another issue. It's, like, a minor question I've been I've been having on and off for, like, 15 years. Which is, why the fuck do the Jaffa even have- Why do the Gold? Why has English become such a thing? And I don't mean like it's bad that it has, but it's interesting that they both- That they use English and the, the Gold language so tightly together. Because you'll have people in a hallway, for example, screaming at each other, you know, Shova and all this shit back at each other, you know. And, and Teal'c was conversing back just as fluently, yeah. just as quickly. And then you have an episode with- you know, with Hathor, where you have Ellen and the other guy who are not gold. Well, sorry, the Toker is, but the other guy, I don't, I guess maybe he was one too, who the fuck knows. But I think he was like lead Jaffa. Yeah, I guess that's the thing is, I, I would, I would understand why the Jaffa would speak the gold language. That just makes sense. I, what I don't understand necessarily is actually the presence of the English language because the gold language would make a much better universal language across all the territories because the Jaffa, the gold would all just have the same basis. There? So, uh, the answer it's to that is, so we can understand what they're saying. Yes, <laughs> yes Mel, thank you for helping me <laughs> come to that conclusion. I never would have figured that one out. <laughs> but, but I'd like to know is, the show obviously doesn't really talk about it for a reason. Yeah. It's just, ever since the first time I thought about it, I haven't been able to, like, come up with a decent headcanon. Because it doesn't, nothing really makes sense other than because. Well, I mean, there's also no reason that fucking... Mongols that got moved to a planet 
5,000 years yeah, ago. Yeah, spoken English with a Mongolian accent. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, there's no good answer for that, right? honestly. I would just... <laughs> I'd love to... Because somebody else has to have asked this question to these guys at least once over the years, and I would have loved to be a fly on the wall <laughs> to hear whatever bullshit response they had. <laughs> or if they just said, yeah, no, it's because it was a TV show. <laughs> I'd like yeah. to know if they even tried, or if they just went, fuck you, it's a TV show. <laughs> Well, it's kind of like how I've said before, my dream version of the show would be where every planet they go right. to, they have to speak a different language. They have to take advantage of the fact yeah. that Daniel knows 23 different languages and use them on all of these planets. But that's just not viable. Let's just go with the D&D parlance of common. There we go. Or basic in Star Wars. It's called basic. There we go. <laughs> so, uh, when he tries to ask them all to talk in English, they get pissed at him and leave. And he's like, okay, what just happened? And Thor's like, you spoke out of turn. And Jack's like, I don't know what turn is. What do you... <laughs> Maybe you should have explained to me what this turn process was. But Thor's kind of like, ah, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> Again, something else you could have mentioned. <laughs> right? So Daniel comes in and asks Jack why they all left. Uh, and uh, Jack asks Thor why they let the gold get so powerful. And this is where, you know... Thor's like, listen, we're busy with a worse enemy. And he basically explains that, uh, honestly, the only reason they're able to keep the gold in check as it is, is because the gold believe that, you know, they could do what they did on, um, I've forgotten the name of that planet, the protected one. <laughs> the oh, one with the, Thor's the Thor hammer. Yeah, yeah, the Thor's chariot episode. Yeah. Yeah. That that they could just do what they did there and just come up here and vaporize the gold if they step out of line. He specifically says if one gold, like Sokar or whatever, uh, took over, instead of having all these disparate system lords that bicker amongst themselves, if one took over and became a unifying source between all of them, then the Asgard wouldn't be able to do anything about them. They'd be outmatched at that point. And so Jack's like, oh, so you're bluffing with them. Uh, which again, pay attention. This is foreshadowing for later in the episode. <laughs> Because, as we said, Robert C. Cooper doesn't write anything in this episode unless it means something later on. I love him. I just, I, every single stone on the path that he lays is there for a reason. Mm -hmm. So Thor says that he has to leave for now, but he gives Jack a little stone with runes on it and says, you can call me back with this. Doesn't explain how. <laughs> but yeah, so he gives him that little stone and says, call me back when, when they're ready to talk again. Then we get a briefing room scene where uh, Jack tells the gang he tried to apologize, but the gold won't see him, and that Daniel typed up a formal letter in gold, which I'm immediately like, how? How Did, did you make a computer to do that? <laughs> I'm guessing they have some sort of, you know, keyboard that's rigged up to substitute I believe the it. and stuff. It's three years in. Yeah, however- It's just kind of funny that it's just dropped there as, as like, an yeah. obvious answer. I, I actually feel like that- might have been like a deleted scene at some point, honestly, because it's referenced in a way that it's so odd that they don't have a scene where they show this computer rig up because they have yeah. had no problem in the past showing some sort of, you know, post-production layout on a screen or a, an accidentally very incorrect freeze frame of a wrong website or something, <laughs> you know, something like that. They usually have, they've never really had any problem doing that before. So it's kind of interesting that they 
mentioned, you can type up a letter and go old and yet have no interest in showing you this keyboard layout or whatever. Yeah, I did think I did think that was odd. But again, like I said, it's it's been three years. I believe they'd have one by now. I do take it back. I don't think it was for sure a deleted scene. I just want it to be because that right. would make things better. Maybe they uh, instant message with the Tokri using it. There we go. AOL. <laughs> yeah, aim. <laughs> oh god. Those the little away messages. Sorry, oh. in the middle of gold attack. Talk later. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, set status update. Yes. So yeah, so he says that Daniel typed up an apology letter and Daniel signed it. Uh, so they start talking about what potential negotiations SG-1 might have to give. And Sam brings up the possibility of having to provide hosts. And Jack's like, well, that would be unacceptable. And everyone else is especially... I think specifically, like, the secretary is kind of like, well, you know, we, we don't know what we'll have to give into. Like, if the only other option is destruction, we might have to make some negotiations we don't want to, ultimately. So again, we're, we're leading, leaving a lot of, like, foreshadowing for the potential negotiations down the line. Uh, at which point Daniel comes in, tells Jack the goal they're ready to meet again, and they all meet up again. And Jack is, this time they're talking in English, but Jack's still doing the, like, looking between everyone because, again, they're not talking to him. They're talking to Thor. He's just there to listen to them decide his fate, more or less. Um, Which, the episode does a good job of showing that, but it's still, like, painful to watch and realize yeah. how real that must be in those kind oh, of situations. Oh, yeah, it When sucks. you're, like, a protectorate that's being fought over by two countries. It's like, can you imagine living there and then just getting a letter in the mail someday being told, hey, by the way, now you pay taxes to these other bitches. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's a very accurate uh, portrayal of dip diplomacy. <laughs> so we find out that basically Thor's already written up a treaty and he's hasn't asked Jack anything about it. He just wrote up a treaty for them. And that in the treaty, there's things about how Earth isn't allowed to develop far enough to be a threat to the gold, and basically recognizes that Earth is there to be stock for hosts and slaves. And that's the, like, he was already, as soon as they're like, you know, you can't, you know, develop far enough to be a threat. He was already looking like, hey, hold, hold on a second. But then they say that you're here for hosts and slaves, and he's like, uh, sorry, what the fuck? And that's where he interrupts. He's like, no, I'm, What? <laughs> This is a moment where I think, I, I actually blame Stargate Atlantis a lot for the cancellation of Stargate Universe, because I think if the writers had gone down a slightly different route with Stargate Atlantis, they could have really expanded upon this kind of element that they use here in this episode. Yeah. Which is the humans as cattle thing. Because mm -hmm. that's a huge element of Stargate Atlantis with the Wraith, is how yeah. they literally treat oh, yeah, each planet as a different herd to be called. However, for a show that was supposed to, like, that's a dark fucking premise. I understand yep. why they wanted to intercut that with some lighthearted, you know, because otherwise that was too dark. But I think but they did Sarah it Atlanta way too much. too far. Yeah, with no, the yeah, camp. way too much. They went way too much and it was too lighthearted. And it was just a little silly sometimes. Now, I love the show, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But when they went down a much better route of realism, I think, into the darkness with Stargate Universe of the hopelessness and despair of the situation... I think people got a little bit more of a, of a shock from it because of how much Stargate Atlantis didn't do that. Yeah, SGU probably would have um, done better if it had gone directly after Stargate uh, SG-1. Yeah. Because yes. of the fact that SG-1 has camp. Yes, absolutely. We started seeing some of that in Season 3. 
but it also has these these you know important moments like yeah. this and it's not nearly as undercut in this show as it is at stargate atlantis yeah. so i uh I just, these are moments where I kind, of, I kind of lament that a little bit because here right now and right when Kronos says that that's like that's fucked up oh obviously. yeah it's supposed Especially because to be of the way up. it's delivered like yeah. it's an obvious conclusion right that's fucked up and I can see the moment where somebody goes oh okay in a few years we should do a show that kind of explores this more but why did you go so light on it yeah and not to mention like it's it's a little odd that like wouldn't you take advantage of the fact that you know in a series like this to continue to go a little bit darker each time you because, would think <laughs> because you're progressing and you're going into like more distant areas where you have less support and things are more foreign and strange and like why it would it, get it darker it just makes sense to progress with it getting dark a little darker each time but yeah uh so yeah, so on top of all this garbage uh, the gold are also like, yeah, we have one more thing we want to add to the treaty. We want both of your gates. I, well, I like, because they're first they're like, we want your Stargate. And then there's a pause where, like, and then they go, both of them. Like, don't pull any bullshit. We're like, sure, here's our Stargate. My first thought was, how the fuck do they know they had two Stargates? And then I remembered that they have these things called sensors. And the gates are made out of a material that's not native to Earth. So I bet they were able to detect two different sources of Naquita. Probably. I mean, there's been enough uh, gold involved with them. I don't know. Maybe something to do with uh, Touchstone or something. Yeah, it could know. also just be that maybe there's a spy on Earth. I mean, by this point in time, it would not be impossible for no. some spy shit to be going down. Absolutely. So, uh, and, and Thor agrees. He's like, yeah, we can add that to the treaty. Meanwhile, no, humans are not cool with this. <laughs> yeah, so they break, um, because at this point it's like, well, now the humans have to decide if they're going to agree. And the Secretary of Defense is leaning towards accepting. I'm actually really pro-sec here. I understand where he's coming from. Yeah, I don't think he's, he's an a politician. asshole for it. He's got to look at this side of things. Well, also, I mean, even Jack has to acknowledge that it's not really that much of a question in the long run of if we have to give up a gate to save the whole planet, I feel yeah. like this is not yeah, complicated. Yeah, it sucks, but but they also start, the, the rest of SGC also starts to point out, like, hey, even if, you know, the gold won't attack us anymore. There are other threats out there. Oh, yeah, exactly. I just I just wanted to point out that I actually like yeah, yeah, the Secretary of Defense in this. Absolutely. Because, once again, he's not just, like, a simpering idiot. He's actually somebody no, no, who's I like this guy. taking this shit at face value and thinking about it and acting accordingly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so they're, they're like, you know, the treaty's not going to protect us from everyone. Not everyone signed on this, and if we give up our gate, then we give up our defense against other people out there. Like, we know the Asgard are fighting someone. I don't think they are connected to the treaty. One interesting note on that, too, I think the writing, I think the dialogue in this episode also indicates that the writers hadn't yet decided to drop the topic of the Ritu, because they mentioned them, like, four times here as yeah. potential enemies. Well, I mean, I understand, um... It definitely works in this episode because Near T is using something right. related to it. Yeah, yeah. But I just I just think that because the writers had kept using it as a device at this point, I'm yeah. guessing they were still intending to possibly bring it back and it yeah, hadn't maybe. been a full a full decision yet as a team. Yeah, maybe go, they didn't no. realize they were gonna bring the replicators in so early. Yeah, I mean I mean, I've talked about before uh, how this has happened across a lot of shows where they'll introduce a few topics because they don't know what's going to be... Which one's going to stick. Yeah, what, what's going to be the best course of action, yeah. necessarily. That's the thing with lots of different writers, is you have to sometimes see where the story takes itself. 
Absolutely. So it's not their fault that they didn't know that the Reed 2 were going to be a drop topic. Yeah. So, um, but the Secretary, again, because the Secretary of Defense, like we keep saying, he's, he's a good character. He's, he's like an actual person um, with reasonable thoughts. But he's like, look, you have to, if we're not going to accept this treaty, you guys have to give me a good reason. Like, a really strong reason. To tell the president not to accept this. But that's why I still like him, is because he says that, where it's like, hey, if you have a reason, now is the time. Yeah. But he's, he's like, like, I'm not shutting you down. I want him here, but it yeah. has to be a good one. Yeah. I just, um, I like this guy. He seems like he's actually yeah. in this job for a reason. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like, like, his speech at the beginning, where he's like, that he's excited about all these mission reports, I feel like he's being honest. I think yeah. he likes this. Yeah, I think... Sometimes people are put in positions because they actually work their way up to them and are mm -hmm. actually the right fit. <laughs> and I just, Absolutely. I just miss this show, man. Yeah. Before I got canceled, the first season of Altered Carbon was really good. And every time a new character appeared on screen, Eric and I would lose our minds a little bit because the amount of effort you could tell the casting directors went into finding people, <laughs> even for small roles. It's kind of like this with this show, where every now and then you have an episode like Touchstone where I want to just like... <laughs> I want to sigh oh, into a wall, and I want to go stand in a corner Blair Witch style and cry. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have rough, episodes man. like this where the Secretary of Defense guy is just kind of there, but his presence is extremely not offensive. Absolutely. <laughs> it's actually an asset, and it's just yeah. little elements. And I wish the, Honestly, these episodes did it more often. When he first showed up for the award meeting, I thought that was the only scene he was going to be in. Yeah. And he just... Kept and being he sticks a, around a whole essence. Yeah, he, and, he, yeah. And he actually contributed. And I know that villains also can contribute to a storyline, but when they're just tropey, annoying government official types, it gets really tiring really yeah. fast. Absolutely. It's why we hate Kinsey. It's yeah. why we hate Simmons. It's why we hate NID. Because it's just like, yeah, we understand why you're here, but you're exhausting. <laughs> right? So yeah, I just, I just liked... Seeing a secretary that wasn't um, a shit heel and actually was a decent presence the whole time. Absolutely, I liked him. Uh, but yeah, so then we cut to Jack being teleported up to Thor, um, and he's basically trying to get Thor to like tell him what to do. He's like, "What? What do you think I should say?" And Thor's very firm about it's your decision. You have to be the one to make this choice. And I I love this exchange because. There's a couple of things. I, I love that, like, the whole time Jack's trying to get Thor to, like, give him some sort of clue or sign or something. And he's kind of, he even asks, like, he specifically asks him, like, straight to his face, like, do your people ever, like, say something you don't mean? You know, or, like, talk between the lines, that sort of thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And Thor goes, no. And he's like, no, you don't? Or no, you don't understand? <laughs> And Thor just kind of stares at him. And I, what I, so I, I, I just like this whole construction of this conversation because Jack's just grasping at straws. He, he just wants some sort of sign. He wants a good excuse to tell them no. <laughs> you know, that's desperately what he's looking for. And he starts looking to see, like, is Thor trying to tell him something without telling Are him something? Are you nodding? And here's the thing. I think ultimately Thor is. I think despite the fact that it's this freaking CGI gray alien... I think they do a good enough job with, like, the slow blinks and the, like, the way his body language and just the way his silence sits that I think he's trying to tell, he's, he's trying to get Jack to 
you know, work out a different solution. He doesn't want Jack to just, I don't think he wants Jack to just give in and be like, yeah, this is our treaty, let's do it, this sucks, you know? I had an impression very similar, which was, he's hoping that Jack is smart enough to do exactly the right thing, which here is, if he can't find a better a yeah. better way than to go with what the Asgard are recommending here, which is, yeah, in this exactly. case, be a protected planet. I, yeah, I and I think there's definitely something to, you know, back to the other Robert C. Cooper episode, The Fifth Race, uh, I feel like this is, I don't want to go so far as to say a test, because he is trying to give them a protection element as far as they can when they're distracted with the replicators and everything, but almost a test where you, because they've already been like, hey, you know, you're on the way to becoming the fifth race. And I feel like this situation and being like, look, you have to make the decision. You have to figure out what you're doing here. And if that includes you have to figure out a different way to get this solution is to see how suitable they are to be the fifth race. Like to give them that chance to prove themselves to the Asgard as well. Like, What's your problem-solving skills like? What what can you do when backed into this kind of corner? And he's not, like, setting up this corner. This is the best treaty he could give, you know, Earth in his position. Because he can't push too far because they're bluffing, you know? Yeah, but he's, exactly. He's giving him the tools, but he's saying, you have to use these tools to solve it yourself. Yeah. And we're very interested to see how you do this, but ultimately you have to be the one to do this. Yeah. It's, I like the Asgard because nothing about them is one-dimensional. So even as they're trying to just, you know, save the humans, they're also kind of designing this as another way to test the humans to see what happens. Absolutely. But not in, in a totally condescending way. No, no, it's not in like they're so about it. They're just, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're healthily interested in the outcome. Yeah. And I think it's, it's remarkable how well they managed to convey these subtle nuances with, with a, a decent <laughs> CGI Well, it's CGI creature. later, um, but for the most part, it tends to be a, an animatronic, it looks like, one of those creature oh, shop type things. Okay, that... Yeah, there is that heavily CGI scene later in the episode. Um, but when for it the most stands part, up from the yeah, table? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for the most part, they do appear to be, whenever it's like a singular... Um, when it's sitting Asgard, in the chair? Yeah, or like Herbie Odd, for example, on the Daedalus. I've never really not been here for it, because even when it looks a little silly, it's still better than shitty CGI, so... Yeah, no, I think it, uh, you know, for where they, what they could do at that time, I think they do a great job with the nuance there. Hell and yeah, I think... you can see little, like, teeth on Thor at one point, like, when he's kind of doing, like, a are-you-fucking-kidding-me look at uh, Jack at one point, yes. he, like, raises his upper lip, and he's just kind of like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I loved it, because it was so much attitude from a puppet. Yes. It's great. It's, uh, Thor walked so Baby Yoda could run. That's a good one. <laughs> that needs to be on a Stargate fan t-shirt. <laughs> oh, God. I would wear it. Everyone would be like, what the fuck? Jon Favreau owes a lot to Stargate. Fair enough. <laughs> what I like about this is that, that it ends with, like, Jack being like, look, just give me a sign. Like, nod your head if I'm supposed to do something else, you know? And then Thor just, like, stares at him for a minute. And Jack's like, okay, fine, send me back. And in sending him back, like, in pushing the buttons to send him back, he kind of leans forward. And Jack goes, wait, that! Was that, a, was that a head nod? I mean, your head went down, but it didn't come back up. <laughs> and 
he gets sent away at that moment. And that's actually the point where um, after uh, he's beamed him away, that's when Thor goes like, fucking humans. <laughs> with his I know, face. it's great. His I lip, fucking just, love it. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I think, I like I said, I, I think that whole scene is so strong because Thor doesn't talk much. He communicates so much just by staring at Jack and letting Jack talk himself in the circles. I, I always wonder what it's like for actors. I mean this not just as, like, silly acting, but, like, serious actors. I wonder how much... I, I wonder what the feelings to act are. Puppet. <laughs> what When it is. When you're asked seriously and respectfully to act off of a puppet. I wonder <laughs> what their reactions are. I wonder how many of them are like, are you fucking serious? And I wonder how many are like, yeah, this is a challenge. This is, like, this is how I can really showcase my abilities. Is because I am literally acting off of nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, Richard Anderson does a great job. Yeah, I just I wonder where the percentages are. I want to know oh, no. how many, what what percent of actors are like here for it, and then what percent are just like I don't know. I feel like be one of the ones who is like who would just shout at you and run away. Is is notorious for like wanting things as realistic, realistic and as, possible. as possible. Yeah, so maybe he was a bad example. I meant that <laughs> as in like somebody who's a little unreasonable. Yeah, um, I get you. Not a bad guy, but I've also heard he can be a little unreasonable on set. I feel like if you caught him on a bad day and you walked him into a room and said, act off his puppet, I feel like he might have a problem with it. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows, man. But yes, so he sends Jack back down because he's tired of Jack talking to him. (laughs) Um, And the the president talks to the secretary from the big red phone. Poor Hammond doesn't get to talk to his BFF at all in this episode. It's too bad. No BFF time. I know. Uh, so he's like, hey, the president has agreed to accept this treaty. Everyone in SGC is visibly not happy with this, but at this point it seems like it's the only thing they can do. And so uh, they tell Daniel to go find the gold, and tell them. And as he's walking down the hallways to go find them, an alert starts up. So, I, I understand the episode a lot, had a lot to do, but I would have given anything to have that scene where uh, Daniel's walking out of the room to tell the, the gold. I would have given anything to have that scene be a few more seconds of, of Daniel's reaction, because that was like a march to the death walk he had. Oh, there, yeah. Whereas he was walking to go actively do something that was probably going to hinder his chances of ever finding his wife forever. Oh, yeah, because if you, you you lose the gate, you can't yeah. find your wife. Yeah, yeah. So they've outwardly spoken about why Teal probably... is super against this this whole thing, but Daniel's been really quiet the whole time, and they continue it with this, with this slow, somber kind of walk where his face is just going, fuck, 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 the whole time. I feel like if they had had to give the gates over... I feel like he would have left her. Oh, yeah, he almost certainly would have, yeah. He and Tilk both, they would have just gone off and done their own thing. It would have been a great buddy cop spinoff. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I can, Amazing. and I'm almost sad it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I think it would have been great to linger a little bit longer in the hallway. Yeah. Like I said, I would have gotten sort of like for two more seconds of him walking towards his yeah. doom kind of thing. I get you. No, I agree. I think that would have been great. Not that it's not well yeah, shot anyway, it's not a flaw but it just would have been great it, to, uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. The episode isn't worse off for not having it, but no. I would have just given anything to give mm-hmm. Michael Shanks that extra couple of seconds to really do that. Yeah. So he runs to where the alert is, and he finds that, uh, he goes he goes to Cronus's room and finds Cronus and Teal are both on the ground, unconscious and injured. Um, and we... We cut to the med bay where Teal has like a concussion and is 
unconscious. He took a bad hit to the head, uh, but he's recovering fine. Um, meanwhile, Cronus is dealing with severe internal injury, and um, it's too severe for his larva to heal on its own. So there's not much Janet can do to help. We see, we see the again, how you talked about how the cameras were going to come in. Sam shows the, the camera recordings of the hallway, and it shows Teal walking into Cronus's room, and the door closes. And we don't know what happened inside. And this is the point where Daniel's like, look, you know, I do like, again, this is a great scene because, like, Daniel's like, listen, I know he had some personal issues, but Teal wouldn't, like, risk all of our necks for this personal issue. And they're like, what are you talking about personal issue, Daniel? And he's like, oh, well, uh. And then he tells them about what Teal told them. And they're like, why didn't you tell us? Because he told him in confidence, guys. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, well, you know, he told me in confidence and, like, I I believe he wouldn't risk it for this. Like, I talked to him about it and I don't think he risked, I don't think he did this. Whatever happened, he did not start this. I do like how he, Teal'c didn't do it to, uh, what Daniel asked, though, and not go to Kronos. He went directly to him. Well, he thought Kronos had called him. I know, I get it. He could have stopped, he could have not gone, he could have went and found Daniel and been like, hey, weird news, but no, he just (laughs) I need a buddy. (laughs) Now, I know it's because Teal'c had no intention of doing anything wrong and so forth, Yeah, I just think it would have also indicated some respect to his friend who asked him not to do something. Yeah. And I know it's because the episode had to happen, but still. (laughs) Yeah, but I do like, uh, my note here says, Jack asks what we all ask, why doesn't Teal'c tell us this shit? Because Teal'c is consistently, like, just that guy standing in the background, and then something will come up, and he's like, oh yeah, I have personal ties to this. Teal'c! Something will happen, and then you can literally see the show writer whispering in Teal'c's ear, yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden he comes up with his new little bit of backstory. Yes, exactly. So I, I do like that, that little lampshading there. Why doesn't he tell us this shit? <laughs> I do appreciate this a little bit of lampshading. Yeah, you're right. I appreciate it too, because this is a subtle enough piece of lampshading that it's I a like bit. It. Of, it's a. I do. I, I. It does actually do a little bit to take away from my small amount of ire at whenever uh, writers do this shit. Because I'm always like, yeah, 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 ha ha. And then it's like, okay, but this is them also poking fun at themselves, where they're like, yeah, oh exactly. yeah, this thing that uh-huh. we also didn't mention until now. Hey, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like it. Uh, so you and Nirti come in, and they're immediately threatening SGC and blaming them. Like, what did you do to him? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and Daniel offers Nirti the healing, the healing hand device, and she, she's already like, okay, so for being, um, someone who is not in front of the camera, she does some really good, like, interesting face acting with, like, subtle suggestions Mm -hmm. where he offers her the hand device and you can already see in her eyes she's like surprised they have this right and a little dubious about them having this fuck uh (laughs) yeah and so she and she like hesitates for a second before taking it from him so i i you know i give this woman so much credit for not being like a regular actor and doing a great job with the subtlety of this character it, it makes weird sense in a way because who else would be that good at subtle shit than somebody who has to edit yeah, yeah, because, like, uh, one of the actors from Touchstone would have been way more obvious about how th- she was not happy that they had a hand device and this could ruin everything. 
But yeah, so she takes the hand device and uh, holds it over him for like four seconds and it closed. And then she immediately pulls it away and goes, the injury is too great for this hand device to heal it alone. He's going to need a sarcophagus. Why the fuck doesn't you try? I don't know. Here's the thing. And I'm not... Aside from I'm not saying this is an actual answer, but I am saying that we've only ever seen women use the healing devices. So maybe it's a cultural thing. It seems weirdly sexist. (laughs) That women are the only ones who can heal. (laughs) But the gorillas are also kind of weird and sexist. Um, Yeah. I think it's mostly just so the episode can happen, that you don't even attempt it. Uh, And I think it's supposed to indicate that you trust her, that he wouldn't give it a shot either. Well, he doesn't trust her. Well, I mean, trusts that a go-old in a treaty situation Yeah, he trusts the go-old over humans right now. Yeah, exactly. One of my own over one of them kind of thing. Yeah, that's a fair. Um, But yeah, so uh, Thor, meanwhile, has told Jack that he has to let the go-old leave. Um, and Jack's like, if we let them leave, they're going to attack us. And Thor's like, yeah, but if you keep them here, then their people are going to attack you anyway. Uh, and Thor's like, I, meanwhile, have to go. Uh, and I think this is actually very interesting because of the final shot of this episode. Uh, which I'm gonna cut to the end of this episode for a second. The very final shot of this episode is Thor's ship leaving our orbit. Which means he tells Jack, now I have to leave. But he does not leave until the resolution happens. So I think that does say a lot about, like, A, he's still kind of keeping an eye to make sure they don't, like, self-destruct. Right. But he's also telling Jack that he has to leave now so that Jack thinks we're on our own. It's up to us only. It's kind of like how, uh, I'm going to do a really weird uh, comparison here. It's like when, when parents are teaching their kids how to ride a bike, uh, and they'll be holding on to the back of the bike, and then when they think the kids have a handle on it, they'll let go without letting the kids know that they've let go. Yep, just the casual uh, dis- uh, display of why you can't trust me. Yeah, you yeah, know, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, I feel like that's what he's doing here. He's, he's uh, taking off their training wheels, but sticking around to be there in case they fall and trip and skin their knee. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he basically is like, look, you, you know, you have to let them go. This is an issue and I can't be here. I have to leave. Uh, so he sends Jack back down. Uh, back at SGC, they're like talking to Nirti and you and they're like, you violated every term of this, you know, meeting. You have to let us go, blah, blah, blah. And Jack's like, well... We haven't violated every term yet. <laughs> which can, at which point they have a whole bunch of MPs come in with fucking guns pointed at them. I, I, I appreciate it. It's like, well, all in, I guess. Uh, so basically, they're, they've made the decision that they're not letting the gold leave. Um, although, I definitely feel like, you know, they're doing this because they need to figure out what happened. Because they, they're convinced Teal'c did not attack Cronus, which means they have to wait until Teal'c wakes up to find out what happened. And they're hoping that if they can prove that it wasn't Teal'c, that they can salvage this somehow. But it does mean that they have to kind of, you know, <laughs> they have to pull out the guns for a little while and be like, you ain't leaving. Right. So, but they're also worried about having to prepare for an imminent invasion, you know, from people outside of Earth. Uh, so they're thinking about that. Uh, meanwhile, Teal'c finally wakes up. And he tells them that Cronus summoned him and then claimed he didn't do it. And then they were both attacked by an invisible force. 
Dun, dun, dun. I'm curious to know who gave him Cronus's message. That's a good question. That's a very good question. Yeah, I, 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 mm, that's a good question. I feel like the only thing that makes sense is, like, Nirti wrote something yeah. and then gave it to a guard in the yeah. corridors and yeah. said, this is from Cronus. <laughs> yeah, it must have been something like that. Yeah, it can't have been that hard, I guess, now you say. Plus, she could be invisible, so maybe she wrote something herself and just left it in his room or something. Maybe. Okay, sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, so he says they're attacked by an invisible force. They bring up the Ritu again, uh, but she looks like, no, I, I, I would have sensed them. I did not sense, I did not have the headache, the, the weird gut turning yeah. thing from that episode. So it's definitely not them. Um, and Jack's like, well, uh, you know, what else could it be? And, and Daniel's like, well, Hathor could disappear. And uh, Jack's like, yeah, but she's dead. She, she's dead, right? She's dead, right? <laughs> I love how he looks to Sam for assurance, like, right? <laughs> like, she, you're, you're not, you're not going to tell me that just, snakes she's can survive like, that, right? <laughs> does a little head nod, like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, so at this point, uh, Sam goes and decides to try healing Cronus herself. She gets an idea. She she figures out what we did. Oh, Nirti fucking lied about the hand device. <laughs> uh, or she's at least willing to test it, which is a science solution. So she's like, I'm going to try this. And so she goes and she gets the hand device and she can't do it at first. And Jack's like, you know, I don't want to be all Freudian here, but, uh, and she's like, you think because he killed Jolinar that I don't want to heal him. And he's like, well, and she's like, no, I have Jolinar's memories. Jolinar is not influencing me. And I, but I do think that like him having that talk with her helped her get past her block anyway. <laughs> Because after this, she does manage to heal him. And it works. little Shipper Heart loves their uh, dynamic because he's the one who's able to get through. Whatever that cloud was for her, he was able to poke right through it. I feel like part of it was honestly just getting her riled. Like I said, whatever he had to do. (laughs) Get her riled so she gets out of her own head and isn't overthinking it. I think it's ultimately what he wanted to do. Like I said, Um, my little Shipper Heart's all a flutter because he knows her so well. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, so she pretty much immediately manages to heal this man, which makes it very obvious that Nier T was lying her fucking ass off. Because she holds the hand device over Cronus for, like, four seconds, and he immediately gasps, like, with the the, the waking gasp of, yep. you know, the, the trope. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm alive! Yeah, that one. Uh, which means they know that Nier T was lying now. Um, what? And Jack... Yeah, shocking. So they're all, like, figuring out what they're going to do. And Jack points out that it's obvious you or Nirti did this to Cronus. And offers Cronus to find out who. And he they they do this nice little, like, where they link, they have him start to do it and then, like, cut away. But basically, the scene suggests that he's asking for something from Cronus in exchange. But doesn't say what. It's well framed. Oh, yeah. No. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, and so then we get outside and they're all walking and, and plotting and they're all like, okay, yeah, they're walking and plotting. They're doing a West Wing walk. (laughs) I love it. Uh, And Jack points out that Nirti lied, uh, about the hand device. Uh, and (laughs) there's this great whole thing where I was like, yeah, Nirti lied, but Cronus doesn't know that Nirti lied and Nirti doesn't know what we know, and they're like, we don't know anything for sure about her. He's like, yes, she doesn't know that we don't know anything for sure. So we take a note out of the Asgard book, and we bluff. 
it's a good episode. <laughs> yes, it's so beautiful. Uh, like I said, I've said it many times during this, I said at the beginning, this is a beautifully constructed episode. So we go to the briefing room where Jack directly confronts Nearty about her lie and then makes his own lie, claiming that the Tok'ra, uh, they called the Tok'ra and were told that Nearty has been experimenting with phase shifting to battle the Ritu. And you immediately turns on her. <laughs> Which I like. I think it does a great job of like uh, characterizing the system lords and how it it honestly makes it make complete sense that the system lords have for the most part been ignoring Earth up till now because they are so ready to turn on each other in an instant. He's like, uh, you know, oh, you were doing this and you weren't sharing it with the rest of us. And he points out that she was the only one who directly opposed the treaty, which makes sense because she was the only one who directly attacked Earth before now, and that she specifically wanted Cronus's territory. And then he starts choking her. <laughs> and she disappears. She disappears and steals a gun from one of the guards and runs out. Um, but before she does, she shoots at you, and Jack tackles him to the ground to save his life. And, uh, so Sam manages to corner her with one of those Ritu-seeing guns, and she's just like, give me a reason. Give me a fucking reason, bitch. <laughs> I like how she's literally just like, seriously, I would love to use this. <laughs> yeah, she's like, have you seen what these do? Because I would love to give you an opportunity to witness it. <laughs> Allow me. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely give me a reason, bitch. It's great. And she gives in. I actually like the CGI for this, where she's, uh... Yeah, like, f coming in and out of view as yeah. the, uh, Ritu weapon thing keeps her in focus. I love it. Yeah. I, I think it's very though, well done. You can even see how they lined it up with, um, Sam and the other guy with the other gun, because you can see them both kind of tilting their, their, um, guns uh -huh. down as, uh, Nerti's putting down her firearm. Yeah, it's little, little tiny bits of directing it's in there that really are really well framed. Done. I love yeah. it. But I, uh, I would have... That moment where you know that if it were you, you would have done something else because I live to be a a, a, a cliche. I would have, <laughs> if it had been me, all I know is that I wouldn't have been able to resist pointing my gun at her and being like, you feeling lucky, punk? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, <laughs> so they, they escort her back into the briefing room and meanwhile Jack is telling you that Cronus said he would support the tree with the addendum that they would not have to give up their stargates. And also, like, I just hey. saved your life and you owe me. Yeah, and he's like, and you know, I kind of just saved your life too, so you you down to agree, and you does. Because he's got that little bit of, you know, honor that Nearty clearly doesn't. <laughs> Where he's like, well, you did save my life, you say I, I I think, you know, it says something about the, the kind of system lords who would go in for the treaty, that A, they were willing to listen to the treaty at all, and B, that the two that, you know, stick around are two that they're like, well, you guys did save our lives, so I'm willing to give you some concessions. So, you know, they get the they get the agreement so that they'll be on the protected planets list and they're allowed to keep their stargates. So the system lords leave with the agreement and also the caveat that if any of them are caught by a system lord, they will suffer greatly for it. And Jack's kind of like, cool. <laughs> My favorite thing about that is as if that wasn't already going to be the problem. I know. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, because up until now, if any of the system lords had captured SG-1, they were going to go easy on them. Well, I think, um, yeah, it's definitely kind of like, well, yeah, obviously. But I definitely, I, I kind of appreciate this being the last 
line from him before they leave. Because they're kind of being like, hey, you know, we won't attack your home planet. But if we run into each other on another planet where you're trying to oppose us, we fighting there. We won't take it to your home, but we will absolutely fight you somewhere else. We may not kill your planet, but we ain't friends. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate it. I like that they're just... I think it's very important now that SGC is part of a protected planet's treaty to make sure the audience understands, no, the goal, there's still going to be a problem and a threat. Just not on Earth. We don't have to worry about total planet annihilation. Just, you know, skirmishes on other planets. Oh, yeah. Plus, it gave us a really cool glimpse behind the curtain of the, um, the pomp and circumstance and the formality of what it is to be a system lord. Mm-hmm. They may be at the end of their peak, beyond the end of their peak. Their, their golden age is over, as the show will demonstrate, but... Yeah. As everybody who falls from grace, they were up there for a reason to begin with. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, so then, like I said earlier, uh, the, the episode actually closes with us seeing Thor's ship leave Earth's orbit. So, like, he told Jack, I need to leave. But he didn't leave until he knew Earth was safe. He's a good daddy. Yeah. I love Thor, honestly. Oh, God, I just realized I technically said in reference to Michael Shanks. I mean, he is a daddy at this point in the show. Are you going to bleep that again? <laughs> now I am. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is becoming our new running joke in the show, is to bleep things that aren't actually swear words and just let you find out what it is we bleeped. I'm going to give you all a little uh, game for two episodes ago in our uh, season three, episode one episode. The thing that we kept bleeping out at one point there's one instance where we didn't. So if you want to try and figure out what we kept saying, it's in there. <laughs> I love this concept of the, of the unnecessary censoring because yes! it's honestly just absurdly fun to do while I'm editing. <laughs> it's very fun. I like it. So that's that's the game for everyone listening at home to play. Go back to that episode and try to figure out what we said. <laughs> so that is the end of this episode. Yeah. It was a good episode. But you're right. Like, we're at two hours and 30 minutes. Not as bad as it usually is. Yeah. So, uh, nobody died. Nobody died. Nobody added the death tally. Are you a Jack or a Daniel for this episode? Um, well, I'm a Jack for sure for a lot of things that Jack does, mostly with how he handles the negotiation process. (laughs) That was a lot of, um, I love the part where he went into talk, uh, went up to space to talk to Thor about it and was trying to work it out because I've had those kinds of conversations with people where I'm like, hey, you want to tell me what to do, please? And they're like, no, I need you to figure it out. And I'm like, yeah, no, I know, I know, but... But just, you know, tell me but, what to do. But for the love of God. Also, I know that I would be full, of, as usual, of snarky comments while being transported back and forth. And I yeah. also hate giving speeches. So... Same. And then when you add to that the fact that, not that Daniel doesn't have a presence in this, he does have a presence. Yeah. I just 1,010% know this about myself. I would not have been able to deal with those fuckers with any degree of level-headedness. I mean, not, not during the negotiation process is one thing, but yeah. during the uh, seeing to their whole petty needs thing, yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> See, I think uh, on that on that exact note, to be honest, uh, that I am a Daniel because I've mentioned this before. In middle school, I had a huge group of friends. It was like seven or eight girls. Back then, I was the I was the primary mediator. 
And I was usually pretty patient with their bullshit. But even the fact that, like, I'm definitely Daniel also in the, oh, I'll see to their petty needs. Like, you still don't like them, but you can do it, you know? Also, I definitely just, I loved his little speech about the Cronus and Nirti and, and you. And I just, I was so tickled by the fact that they, you know, acknowledged the whole thing that ancient China didn't really have gods in the same way that, that Egypt did, you know? So I hate to do this, uh, but do you remember if you were a Jack or a Daniel last episode? Because I did not write it down, apparently. I wrote myself in, so just tell me someone. I'm pretty sure I would have to go with Daniel, mostly just because of how he was uh, interacting with people. Yeah, I went with Daniel, too, for pretty much the same reason. Yeah, but from what I remember. Um, I just, I mean, I did like the bomb scene for what it was, funny style, and they're both in it, so it doesn't really help yeah. me decipher for which one mm -hmm. I am versus the other, and it was also a week ago or so, so I can't really remember. Um, but I would go with Daniel, because I feel like it. Yeah, I think that's fair, and uh, so on uh, the, the Joaquin Phoenix, I don't think we're surprising anyone when we say yeah, thumbs, thumbs up. up. Yeah, thumbs up. I mean, it's not even, it doesn't even really have that many flaws. It's actually not no. a bad episode. This is a really well-constructed <laughs> yeah. episode. And, like, I say that as someone who's been a fan of Robert C. Cooper. Like, we haven't given, we haven't even given Robert C. Cooper a meh. He's only had good episodes. Even Bane, which was a, a topic that neither of us were super excited about. Yeah, it wasn't a bad episode. I just didn't like no. the, uh, the the creature body shop horror shit. Yeah, we didn't like that, but it was still a good episode. And, like, Robert C. Cooper has never done a bad episode for us. But even on top of that, this is just a very cleanly constructed episode from him. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, think, I think he might have written the uh, pilot for SGU. And if he did, that would make a lot of sense, because speaking of construction, that's one of my favorite episodes of any Stargate nice. show, because of how it's constructed. So I would definitely second whatever every, everything you just said. He knows what he's doing when he puts all the pieces together, because you can tell that he like follows each thread to the end. He goes, okay, so if this person says this, what does that mean about them, and what might that potentially mean down the line? And then he so writes an episode based on that. So you want to know uh, the answer to your, oh, your yeah. guess? Yeah. It was co-written by Robert C. Cooper and Brad Wright. Fucking knew it. <laughs> Air <laughs> the is perfect such a good team up. The yeah. perfect team up. You got the banter of Brad Wright and the perfect construction of Robert C. Cooper. I hold Brad Wright probably personally responsible for a lot of Eli's dialogue in Air, so that would actually explain a lot. His way of speaking is just never not funny as hell to me. So if you have Banter Guy on the first episode for that, yeah, that would make sense. And then you had the construction. Yeah, there you go. Well, I will tell you, uh, the first eight episodes are either written by Robert C. Cooper and Brad Wright, Brad Wright, or Robert C. Cooper. Well, Stargate was the first, sorry, uh, Universe was the first Stargate to actually feature suicide uh, prominent Oof. suicide, and they did it like five episodes in, so I could see the dream team having to be the, the partnership through yeah. the first few mm -hmm. episodes to help set the stage, because this show went dark and deep fast. Yeah, they even actually warned people about it when the show was airing. They actually warned people ahead of time that the show was going to feature suicide because That's they wanted good. people to know. Ooh! Robert C. Cooper directs an episode in C SGU. Really? Which one? Time. Yeah, <laughs> knew it. I knew it. I because time is so good. Okay, so yeah, we're yeah. You're in for. Some I'm good super shit. excited for the ones where he writes and directs. <laughs> time is one of my favorites. That's why I bring it up a lot. Is I love time. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that in 15 years. 
Heck yeah. Yeah, I'm super, I'm super looking forward to that. So yeah, with that, uh, with that in mind, Robert C. Cooper knows what he's fucking doing, and I'm happy to watch another episode by him. I'm always, I'm always happy to see an episode written by him. I'm always like, oh, thank God, <laughs> we've got something good coming up. With that, uh, discovered, <laughs> that fat to look forward to, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Cool. Next week, we are going to cover season three, episode four. Or Legacy. I love Legacy. I don't like the episode. It's a very uncomfortable episode, but I love Legacy because Michael Shanks is fucking phenomenal in it. Well, we're gonna have we're gonna get to talk about it uh, next week. So if you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at itsmelnotless or our podcast Twitter at Point of Origin PC. You can also email us at pointoforigincast at gmail.com. Or write something on the side of a tissue box and toss it through the nearest wormhole. You can find links to things we talked about during the show in the show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for joining us on our incursion through the iris. And until next time. <laughs>